All right, if I can draw your attention back to Ephesians chapter 5 once again, as we begin Ephesians 5, this time we want to talk about roles and responsibilities uh, in operating uh, in our marriage life to experience God's best, and specifically being able to be the husband uh, that my wife needs for me to be, and being the wife that Uh, God, in a sense, intends for you to be and that your husband needs you to be. That's really what we want to look at in this session as we look at Ephesians 5 and the instructions God gives specifically to us now regarding the roles and responsibilities of a husband and of a wife uniquely. Again, remember at creation, as we talked about already, uh, before sin defiled humanity and came into the picture where it affects our attitudes and our outlooks and kind of twists around the differences and distinctions and even wants to blur uh, the difference and distinction between males and females and that God purposely created us that way by design uh, because he loves us and he knows what's best for us in our life experience, that there are purposeful distinctions and therefore we have unique needs. Uh, Men have unique needs in their masculinity. Women have unique needs in their femininity that God wants to be able to meet and a lot of times doing that through our spouse, as we'll talk about. And God created the union of a man and a woman. And God intended for the man to complement the woman and the woman to complement the man. And God knew what would be best for us to experience marital success, marital fulfillment, even pleasure and happiness. God wants our marriage to be a blessed experience. I firmly believe that with all of my heart. And since God's the one that created the marriage relationship, to me, it takes you know not a whole lot of understanding to realize that the best place to get instruction for how to do marriage best and how to experience the greatest fulfillment in marriage isn't to look to the ideas of the world. Uh, it isn't to honestly you know ask other people how they do marriage, but to simply look into the Word of God itself and let God speak to us what he has prescribed for our marriage relationships. And I want to tell you this, to the extent that we operate God's way as a husband, to the extent we operate God's way as a wife, we make good deposits in the marital bank. And as you make good deposits in the marital bank, that account prospers well, and the love prospers well, and you experience good returns. Now, Remember from our last session, Ephesians 5 comes to us in the context of being instructed by God. We saw in verse 17 and 18 that we're not to behave foolishly or unwisely, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Lord, what's your will for my life in every area as well in relationships? And that we're to seek to constantly, verse 18 says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that we're to be under the influence of God's Spirit so that we can live out our life with the Spirit of God's perspective and the Spirit of God helping us to see things properly from God's perspective and to empower us to do what's good and right. And it's from that backdrop that we are then instructed, we saw ultimately there in verse 21, that we are in relationships generally to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, as he comes to verse 22, which carries all the way down in a section down through chapter 6 of Ephesians, he now starts to address different types of human relationships. 
He talks about the marriage relationship. He talks about the parent-child relationship, how we're to function in those relationships. He even gives instructions how employees are to function in relationship to their employers. But he's going to talk about relationships and how we need the help of the Holy Spirit in all those relationships. He puts the first priority on again, and the first thing he addresses in a great extent from the rest of verse 22 down through verse 33, the rest of chapter 5, is he speaks first and foremost about what is the most fundamental and superior human relationship that exists, and that's the marriage relationship. And again, I have no problem saying it is the most fundamental and superior relationship because it is the only relationship where God says two people become literally one. We love our kids a lot, and we have a lot of great you know, connection with our children, but our relationship with our children is not to supersede our relationship with our spouse. That's out of balance if we begin to do that. And that's hard because when you have love and connection with your kids, sometimes that can even have an impact on your marriage relationship. But God doesn't tell parents and children to be one flesh. He doesn't tell friends to become one flesh or brothers to become one flesh or sisters to become one flesh. He only tells the husband and the wife to have a completely shared experience because, again, marriage is the fundamental basis of all other human relationships. You remove marriage or you destroy marriage, you've destroyed the fiber work for all other relationships in humanity. And so God here, first and foremost, is going to give relational instruction as he talks about submitting to one another generally. He's now going to say, okay, what does that look like maritally? What does that look like for parents and children? What does that look like in employee-employer? So he's going to now become specific and addressed in depth what this looks like to yield to another person, to deny yourself and do what's in the best interest of another person. He's going to say what that looks like is husbands being loving servants and wives being respectful supporters towards their husbands. So let's read the passage, verse 22 down through verse 33. He says, Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so also let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle of any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, and for this reason, quoting the Genesis passage, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is a great mystery or a great revelation, the idea is. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." So as we begin to look at this, what I want to do, and I'm just going to say on the front side again, is kind of draw some main observations of the roles outlined in the passage that I see 
of a husband and a wife. I'm not going to take the time to dissect and go through the passage in a sense of exposing it in the way that we typically would, but what I want to do is make the main observations evident as we're kind of looking to focus on marriage and how this helps us in our marriage lives and make some main points or observations that are evident in the text here. And the first thing I want to say in a general sense, even before talking about what's the role of the husband, what's the role of the wife, is the first observation I would make is this, is that our marriage relationship is intended to be a revelation of something much greater than just our marriage. Our marriage relationship, by God's design, is supposed to be a reflection to the world of the relationship that Jesus wants to have with people. Do you see what he said there when we read it in verse uh, 32? He said this, talking about marriage, God's original design from Genesis, he just quoted that in verse 31, marriage is a great mystery, the word is mysterion, an unveiling, a revelation, he says, concerning Christ and the church. In other words, speaking of marriage, he's saying the role of a husband and a wife on earth in marriage and the way that we relate and interact to one another properly in our God-designed roles is intended to be a message to the world. It's a window that God has given through a human relationship, the loving, intimate relationship of a husband and wife, to be able to show to the world, this is what Jesus wants with people. And our marriage is not just only for our fulfillment, our experience, our fulfillment. Our marriage relationship is actually supposed to be, from God's perspective, a proper representation in the world for people to look at a husband and look at a wife and how they relate to each other and what their experience is in that loving relationship and say, wow, that's a picture. That's what Jesus wants with people? Loving, intimate relationship? That's, that's how Jesus wants the church to respond to him? And again, it's intended to be something to represent something so that people see something. Now, why do I point that out? Well, I think for the reason God points it out, to recognize that when we don't, as married couples, function the way God tells us to function as husbands and wife, we're not just doing a disservice ultimately to our own marriage, we're actually distorting a divine picture that God's trying to give to the world. I don't want to be guilty of that. I don't know about you. I don't want to send the wrong signal to the world of something that is theologically crucial for people to understand what Christ wants for people in humanity and how he wants to interact with the church. So it's essential for us to realize we could distort something bigger and also rob ourselves personally if we ignore God's instruction here. Now, let me just say before we we, we jump into the roles, to me, it always has shocked me when you think about marriage. I mean, would you agree with me? Marriage is a pretty big issue. To me, and I always say this in premarital counseling, you would think there would be like a whole book of the Bible right, designated just a marriage. I, I mean, I really would. I mean, we have all these topics covered in the Bible. Marriage is a pretty huge topic in life. You would think God would give us like a whole book of the Bible in the New Testament just on marriage instruction. It's not like God doesn't have the wisdom to help us, but instead God opts for simplicity. He actually chooses purposely to just give a few simplistic instructions to us as husbands and wives because 
those simplistic instructions meet the fundamental need in us as men and women. And we're to be helpers to our spouses. We're to be comparable partners and work together cohesively to be a good, strong unit. And God says it doesn't need to be complicated. Hard? Yes. But not complicated. But usually what's doing what's right, I find in life, isn't complicated. It's, it's just hard. It's just difficult to put into practice. So God says there are just a few simplistic things. Again, we get these verses. Colossians 3 gives us a few verses. 1 Peter 3, which I'll mention a verse there when I meet with the guys personally. A few passages give us some marital instruction, but it's really not a whole lot in the New Testament. Just a few things, but they things certainly to be learned here. And I can tell you from personal experience, Patricia and I, after 25 years of marriage and trying to do our best by the grace of God to observe these roles and live them out in our marriage with one another, I can testify as a 25-year married person, it is absolutely fulfilling. It's wonderful. God's way works fantastic. I don't have a single complaint. I enjoy marriage more now 25 years into it than I did 25 days into it. Marriage just gets better and better when we truly take God at his word. Now, what I see in the passage here is basically, to me, four main roles or responsibilities for a husband and two roles or responsibility for a wife. Now, simple math. What does that convey? Four main roles for a husband, two main roles or responsibilities for a wife. Guys, here's what that's telling us. We are two times more responsible for marriage success. God puts two times more priority on us doing what's right and living things out properly. And I believe when I stand before God in heaven, the greater accountability for how my marriage went isn't going to be on Trish. It's going to be on my end. That God's going to hold me accountable for that. As a leader, as an initiator, there's more expected of us as husbands. And here's the thing that really puts a twist in it. By nature, could it be fair to say, I think women generally are better at relationships. Women by nature are just naturally a lot better in the relationship dynamics, so that already puts us at a disadvantage. So that's why we got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and we need to walk close to Jesus because we have a big thing on our plate, but it's not something God can't give us the grace to do. So with that being said, let's talk about those four roles for the husband, since I think a greater weight is upon us, guys. And let me tell you the four things I see here that God gives to us as a role or responsibility. The first one is very simply this, and that is two words, to love sacrificially. Our role as a husband is to love sacrificially. You see what he says in verse 25? Husbands, love your wives. It's that word agape, the unconditional love of God. Love your wives, and then he uses an analogy, a metaphor, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That is the predominant theme in all the instruction given to husbands is that we are to love our wives sacrificially in the same manner that Jesus exercises love towards the church. We're to aspire continually. Are we ever going to hit the mark perfectly? I'll help you, ladies. No, he's not. Never going to hit it perfectly, but it never lowers the standard. We are to keep aspiring to love our wives in practice by using the same kind of love that Jesus showed toward the church. Now think with me, how did Jesus display his love towards the church? 
Well, Jesus basically, you could say, gave up his comfort and his personal rights and everything he was experiencing. He set aside all of those things, and Jesus entered into our world, and then he humbly served, and he sacrificed, and he even died to himself in order to make our lives better. That's what Jesus did. He set aside everything that he had, entered into our world, served and sacrificed and ultimately suffered and died to himself in order to enrich our lives, to make our lives better. Well, look, that to me becomes a clear picture of, therefore, how I'm to emulate the love of Christ as a husband, how we are to love our wives as Christ loves the church. My job is to, in essence, to enter into Trisha's world, which is a very different world than my world, very different, but to enter into her world and to seek to graciously, patiently, humbly serve and make personal sacrifices to make her life better, to do what I can that she might be blessed and served and cared for, to give up of my life so I can do what's best for her life. That's the model we're to follow as a husband, servant love, sacrifices personally, denying ourselves. Again, the words of Jesus, Jesus said, the greatest among you should be servant of all. So again, the, the greatest among you, that is the leader. The greatest person is the leader, right? So the greatest among you should be the servant of all. Then Jesus went on to say, I am among you as the one who serves. Again, these should be our attitudes as husbands trying to love our wives as Christ loves the church in how we love our wives, doing what we can to serve the woman that we have committed ourselves to as a husband, doing all we can to meet her various needs generally and even unique to her, serving to bring her personal happiness, to make her fulfilled and well taken care of so that she can prosper and flourish and be secure in that love and become everything God intends for her as a woman as we help that process and bring personal happiness. Deuteronomy 24, verse 5, there's an interesting command God gave. Listen to what it says. Deuteronomy 24, 5 says, If a man is recently married, he must not be sent to war or have any other duty laid on him. For one year, he is to be free to stay at home and bring happiness to the wife he's married. Wow, imagine that. God said part of the role of a husband is to focus on his wife's happiness. That's a command of Scripture. God said, look, that husband needs to be able to be focused and not preoccupied with all these other things that he neglects his wife's happiness. He is to live in a manner that he tries to love in a manner where he brings happiness and fulfillment to his wife. And I can tell you something. A miserable wife is oftentimes a revelation of a husband that's distracted. A miserable wife is often an indication of a husband that is neglectful and preoccupied, maybe with okay things, maybe not, but preoccupied and distracted in such a way that he's become a little too self-serving to properly focus on serving his wife and focusing on her happiness. And again, just like with children, right? You find me a, a child that's like secure and they're, they're stable mentally and emotionally. They're a well-loved child, right? Typically, when a child's well-loved, they're very secure and stable emotionally, mentally. The same applies maritally. 
You find me a woman who is a healthy, stable, emotional, secure woman, it's because she's being very well loved by her husband. And that's having a great impact. And again, Jesus' love was unconditional. It wasn't responsive to the state we're in. His love towards us is an unconditional love. No matter what our condition, he continues to initiate that love. And again, guys, that's our model. It's not conditional. We're to love sacrificially just like Jesus loved. And if you're struggling with loving your wife, don't try and be more loving. You need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I need you to fill me with love. I need you to fill me with your love for this woman who you've given to me as my wife that I can love her properly and serve her and sacrifice for her as you did. So the first thing, love sacrificially. The second thing I see in this passage is that we're to lead effectively that we're to lead effectively. Look what he says, verse 23 again. The husband is the head of the wife. That implies providing direction, like a head provides direction to the rest of the body, as Christ is the head of the church and the Savior of the body. He then again says in verse 26 and 27 that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with a washing of the water by the word and present her as a result of his leadership, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should become holy and without blemish. So the picture here is Jesus provides leadership, doesn't he, to the church. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the one that provides direction to the church and guides us in the paths that we should go. Jesus says, follow me. The idea is, I'll lead you through this. I'll provide direction and guide you through situations out of trouble and on the right track in this situation. Jesus helps us understand things. It's Jesus who gives us guidance as a counselor, and Jesus leads us well by example. Remember John 13, as he washed the disciples' feet, he then said afterwards, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done. Now, understanding how Jesus operates and we're to reflect him as husbands As men, we are called to function as a head, to provide headship. And the head, the mind, provides direction to the rest of the body. When the head's functioning right, the rest of the body functions in a healthy, proper way. When the head is having a problem or the mind is having a problem, the body becomes spastic and dysfunctional, right? So we're to provide headship in the marriage relationship. That is our God-given responsibility to be a good leader considering what is best for our marriage and our relationship and our family life to be, listen, alert to what's going on. Jesus knows what's going on among his church. He's not aloof and disconnected. He's aware, he's involved, he's engaged. He's aware of the condition and therefore helping us in relation to that. So as husbands, we have to be alert. We can't be aloof and detached. I know we have things to do, but we also have a first priority, which is our marriage, to pay attention to our wives and our family life. We have to provide direction and make decisions as is needed, and not just make decisions, but make good decisions to use wisdom and to be seeking God and walking close with him, letting his word direct us and letting his spirit help us so that we can make good decisions in the family life. That is our role as husbands to be decision makers, to learn how to become decisive, to be able to handle a situation, process what's going on, talk things through with our wife, value her input, counsel and consult together, but then ultimately have the courage in the backbone to make a decision 
and to walk things forward. This is what we should do, or I think ultimately this is how we should handle this and actually execute a decision like a leader would in a business or any other situation, or like someone with a military troop. Again, somebody's got to make a decision to move the unit in the direction that's best for the unit, and that's something that the husband is supposed to do. And that specifically applies as well in the area of spiritual leadership. Generally, are we supposed to be decision maker guys? Absolutely. But most fundamentally, as he talks about Jesus keeping the church cleansed with the word of God and holy and without blemish, the idea is spiritually in a good condition, we are supposed to be spiritual leaders in our home. This is absolutely crucial in our family life. No wife, listen, no wife should have to become the spiritual nanny to her husband. It should be us who are leading spiritually, us who are walking in a way with Jesus where we're setting an example for her and she wants to follow our example as she sees us walk with Jesus, that she sees us spending time in the word of God, that she sees us praying about things, that it's us who is the one saying we need to be in church. We need to maintain these moral guidelines for our home. We need to you know, make sure that we're honoring the Lord in this situation. It should be us who's the step ahead initiating that so that she has an example to follow and that we at times are the ones setting that example through our counsel and our words and providing that spiritual leadership. So again, just very, very important. I want to encourage you. God has called you to do this. Sometimes God, well, I'm the spiritual leader, but my wife's more spiritual, so I delegate it to her. Stop making excuses. God's called you to be a spiritual leader. Walk out what God's called you to be. You be the one to lead the way and set the spiritual temperature for the home, and God will honor that. God will bless that. You show me a family where a husband is not just a strong leader, but a strong spiritual leader, and I will show you a family that says, for me and my household, we serve the Lord. There's something very powerful that happens when this is taking place. And again, was Jesus' leadership dictatorship? Absolutely not. It was servant leadership. Jesus' leadership was servant leadership, and biblical leadership is earning respect and leading with healthy influence. It's not about coercion. And again, I want to caution you, and you may think, oh, what's the big deal of that? Because I've worked with a lot of couples over the years, and it's not about thinking you're the big muhaf and being manipulative or controlling or trying to lead by force, whether that's in your words, your intimidating attitudes, or your physical behavior. You are to lead by influence, by strong influence because you've earned respect and it is servant leadership. And what I have discovered is if you need to control your wife, it's because you've lost influence. And if you have strong influence, you won't have to control your wife. She'll respect your influence and she'll want to walk with you in those situations because she'll trust your judgment and see the strong and good leader that you're trying to be. And ladies, let me say this, use self-control here. I want to encourage you, this is God's design. Give your hubby a chance to lead and encourage him in that direction. And if you don't use self-control in this area, I'll tell you what will happen. You will cripple or you will castrate your husband. And I can tell you this too, a conquered man is not attractive. It's just not attractive. And it will ultimately negatively impact you because you will become stressed out doing something that he's supposed to be doing, and you'll be miserable as you're trying to fulfill his role. 
and it will negatively impact your marriage. So the husband is to lead effectively. Notice as well, two other things we see here. Both of them come to us in verse 29. Thirdly, I see that a husband biblically is to provide sufficiently. To provide sufficiently. Look at the word there in verse 29. He says, no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it. Look at that word there, nourishes. The idea to nourish in the language is to supply what's needed for healthy existence. That's what we talk about. Somebody needs to be well-nourished. It speaks of having supplied what is necessary for healthy existence. Would you agree with me again as we're looking at Jesus as the model with his church and the husband relating the same way to the wife? Would you agree Jesus supplies what's necessary for the church? The church doesn't supply for Jesus. Jesus supplies for the church. The church lives in dependence upon Jesus. We rely upon Jesus. Well, the same applies, I think, in the marriage relationship, what I see in Scripture. When a man chooses to marry a woman, he's in essence making a commitment to take care of a second person. He understands in the same way you nourish and take care of yourself, you are choosing when you marry this woman to say, I will now take care of a second person. In the same way, an adult independent life, a man does what he has to to work, to eke out a living, to put food on a table and clothes on his back and a roof over his head. Well, when you get married, you're basically saying, okay, I'm committing to do that for somebody else as well, to nourish them also, just like I take care of myself. So as men, again, our primary job is to work hard, to do whatever it takes to properly supply, to provide sufficiently, to get up, to go out, to be the hunter, to do what's necessary, to take care of our family. And I am not saying in any way that it's wrong for a wife to work or you know to contribute. If that's something that's enjoyed, if that's something that's agreed upon as a couple, I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily for a wife to work, to help out financially, to partner again as a worker in the process. I realize life comes in different seasons that we go through as couples, and you got to find what dynamic works for you. But what I am saying is beware of adopting kind of the worldly pattern where you esteem career and money and lifestyle over family life. And that can become the problem there. And so I just want to caution, again, if we follow Jesus' pattern of relating to the church, and what I see is the entirety of scriptural concepts, I don't see it as the responsibility of the wife to carry the burden or the pressure to make sure that the family is properly supplied for. I don't see that it's the burden of the wife to feel that she has to work or has to work so much or we're not going to be able to make it somehow. I think that that can become a very detrimental thing. When a woman starts to carry the weight of being a provider for the basic necessities, that starts to be a very unfair and unhealthy burden upon the wife, that she, in a sense, starts to have to carry the weight that the husband is supposed to carry, and it creates an undue stress on her shoulders, and it will negatively impact the marriage relationship. It will ultimately start to cause struggles. When a wife basically functions as the one who's taking care of the family, if you would, financially, it kind of creates an awkward dynamic between a man and a woman. It just naturally starts to unfold where she requires the respect because she's the one earning the money, and she's the one kind of the family depends upon her, and here's the byproduct of that. It then becomes a very strong temptation for the wife to start to 
kind of almost lose respect for her husband a little bit. And it becomes a greater temptation because she starts to, in essence, feel and think, what do I need you for? I mean, really, what do I need you for? If you left tomorrow, I'd be fine still. I could pay all the bills. I could take care of everything. So uh, I can take care. And, and it starts to cause a wife to struggle, actually, with respecting her husband. And at the same time, what also happens is a man starts to lose a sense of dignity and purpose because he starts to kind of feel like, what's really my purpose? Like, she seems like she can do it all independently. And all of a sudden, a man starts struggling with, in his own humanity, being maybe a little passive or lazy. You know, I, I purposely, in regards to leading and providing, I reached out actually to my uh, mother-in-law, who's been married for 40-plus years, solid Christian woman and pastor's wife, and I just asked her to give me a thought on the whole subject. And let me read you a quote of something that she said. I, I thought it was worth sharing. She said, no man can honestly feel good when he is letting his wife do what he knows that God created him to do. I think that's a really great statement. I mean, again, we can call it old-fashioned, not politically correct, traditional, but honestly, folks, I really think it's just God's original design. And our culture wants to convince us otherwise, but in creation, what I see, God put Adam in a garden and he told Adam to work the garden by the sweat of his brow and to make the garden produce. And then he gave to him a partner, of course, to help him in the share of the responsibilities. Again, maybe she planted a fruit rose and it helped contribute so the garden flourished more. I don't know. But I don't see God telling Eve, I want you also to go plant a garden and outdo his garden. But it seems we live in a culture. And I, really, I can't believe he's saying it. But see, this is what culture is trying to push upon us. And it's what it's trying to push upon our children in a different generation where we're esteeming certain things, I think, out of balance. And all of a sudden, we're finding struggles in marriages. And again, I can tell you this. I think when God's dynamic is honored in a marriage relationship, it not only contributes to marital health, but it contributes to marital fulfillment. Because when a husband embraces his responsibility to be a hardworking man and feels a responsibility, I need to provide, I need to take care of my family, this is my role before God, and he does that, it gives him a chance to do what? Love sacrificially. And to sacrifice and work hard and to express his love in a way he knows that he's doing and he feels good about it. And it causes a wife to respect her husband because she's looking at that and she's admiring his efforts to do those kind of things. And all of a sudden it gives a man an avenue to feel very masculine and it gives a woman an opportunity to fully embrace what in a sense is a feminine part of her life, which is to be a nurturer and a caretaker. Again, Titus chapter 2, God tells older women to teach younger women. He says the older generation should be discipling and investing and teaching the younger generation. When you read the passage, he doesn't say older women should teach younger women how to get out there, get themselves a career, and outdo their husbands. It doesn't say that. And again, I am not, don't misunderstand me, saying that it is wrong for women to work. I apologize if that even sounds offensive. That's not what I'm saying. But what I see is the Holy Spirit says, tell the older women to teach younger women, it says, how to love their husbands, how to love and take care of their children, and it actually says, and to be homemakers. I'm not saying a woman has to be a full-time homemaker, but God's saying, 
when the husband's working hard and doing what he's supposed to do, he frees up a wife to a greater degree to give her love and attention and focus to the home life so that she can really put her heart into the home and cause that heartbeat to be there for the husband and the wife and the children. And it has this wonderful dynamic that begins to unfold. And again, despite the extreme circles in our world, I'm still naive enough to believe that many women, and I'll use the word many, many women I think enjoy feeling like their man takes care of them. There's something really attractive about that. It causes a woman to be attracted to a man in that sense. It causes a man to feel very competent and comfortable. A hardworking husband is attractive to a lady and a wife that's not, listen, exhausted from being overworked. And sometimes that's because she's working just as much as he's working and she's trying to do all the domestic stuff. And we're wondering why women are overwhelmed and stressed out And I'll tell you, a lot of times you can free up a lot more happy woman and a lot more energetic about romance if she's not exhausted. (laughs) Take that for what it's worth. Let's move on. Final thing for the guys. Fourth thing. Treat her tenderly. Look at verse 29. Not only nourish, be a good provider, but he says also cherishes. That word cherish there speaks of treating her special. It's a reference to how you treat a valuable, precious vase, that it's valuable and it's important. And the the implication here is, again, the tenderness of a husband's treatment actually cherishing his wife. Well, of course I love my wife. I provide for her. I bring home the bacon. Well, right, but there's more to love than that. There's more to love than that. She's looking for something a little bit more than just that we bring home the bacon. She has emotional needs, affection. She wants your attention and your tenderness and that she would feel secure and and she wants to be treated like a lady, to cherish her. That's the idea, like you would treat a vase in a very delicate way and esteem it because it's very valuable. And again, that's vital, guys, to make our wives feel secure. And it's something that we can neglect as husbands. Sometimes, you know, we do really good wooing her, but then once we get her, we, we just kind of shut off in this department. And, and God says, look, that's not going to work. You got to keep cherishing her and treating her special. To me, you know, I have it in my notes here. I actually says, don't disregard the princess treatment. That's the heart behind that there. You know, let her continue to feel like your princess. That's good and that's wise. I want my wife to feel like a princess. I'm down for pampering a woman. I think it's wise. She's a lady. She's special. She's valuable. She's important. I want her to be happy, so I want to work on taking really good care of her, and yes, even pampering her, and treating her special, and paying attention to how to do that. You know, happy life, or happy wife, happy life, right? Remember that? Happy wife, happy life. You know, there's great importance to that. Sometimes as guys, we can be so oblivious to recognizing the value of this and how much it matters to a woman and to marriage fruitfulness in our lives. Colossians 3 says, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Again, as men, we have to be careful that we're not becoming harsh, which is the opposite of cherishing and being kind and sensitive in how we relate to our wives. We cannot, gentlemen, relate to our our wives just like they're one of the guys. Be careful of that. 
Sometimes I meet with couples for marital counseling, and sometimes I have to say to a husband, look, you can't treat your wife like she's one of the guys. You can't speak to her. You know, men banter back and forth, and they say stuff, and they don't take stuff personal, and they, you know, it's just it's what guys do. You, you can't speak to your wife like she's one of the guys. You can't use the locker room talk or the football field talk. She's a woman. What are you doing? It's called being a gentleman. It's called expressing tenderness and, and showing manners and being noble and you know, taking those things into consideration and treating her like a lady, making her feel special. Again, you can never go wrong, gentlemen. I'm telling you, you can never go wrong by making your wife the princess. You cannot do that too much. Do any of the ladies agree with that? Oh, wow, you sound enthusiastic. <laughs> well, I'm telling you. And I understand because I hear this sometimes. Well, you know, my wife's not really into that. She's kind of, you know, she's not really the dainty or the girly girl type. Well, let me just say to that thought, maybe that could be because perhaps she's put a wall up in her heart because she's been hurt and neglected and she's never really had anybody treat her special like a lady. And so my encouragement to you would be Never stop being tender and affectionate and pampering her and being romantic. You keep treating her like that, and maybe you might find that her heart starts to soften and she really appreciates being cherished by you, being treated special and valuable and important. Can't go wrong in that department. Well, wives, let's look at the two things remaining here that I think the Scripture addresses as far as the role of a wife. And the first thing I see is in verses 20 through through 24, and that's in essence that the Bible simply says that the wife is to be submissive and to be cooperative in spirit, to be submissive and cooperative in spirit. Again, verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, again, the same analogy, and the Savior. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ— so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So again, even as Jesus, again, that's our pattern, even as Jesus you know, leads the church and the church willingly follows Jesus' direction, the church doesn't try and take over and start leading and asking Jesus to follow. That doesn't happen. A wife, the Bible says, is to relate to their husband in the same way as the church relates to Jesus. And notice, please, specifically, in verse 22, he says, wives submit to, circle this word, your own husbands. Circle that word, own husbands. The Bible does not teach that women are to submit to all men generally and that men are always to be in charge and it's a man's world. The Bible doesn't teach that. This is talking about in the safe, loving, committed, lifelong relationship of a marriage the Bible says a wife is to only submit herself to the leadership of one man, your own husband. And the reason for that is because that's who you picked, right? That's who you chose. In other words, I'm trusting that you think that's a safe, loving, respectful man that you chose to spend your life with him. And so, therefore, in that safe environment of the unconditional love of a husband, a wife is to submit herself to the leadership of the husband. The word submit means to yield oneself to the authority and direction of another, allowing them to take the lead. So it implies not doing what you wish or trying to take over, 
but instead deferring in a submissive way where you allow someone else to take the lead and be in charge. So it's, it's a choice, in a sense, to function in a supportive capacity, to respect their decision. It's actually a military term when you look at it in the language there, that in the same way in the military, right, this is not an issue of intelligence, it's not an issue of expertise or talent, it's an issue of assigned roles. That if the sergeant says we should charge that hill, it works best for the unit if everybody just follows that direction and charges the hill. And doesn't try and, well, no, we should charge that hill. Or maybe we should do this instead. Or I'm not charging that hill. What are you talking about? It doesn't work, right? It causes dysfunction in the unit. Well, well, that's the term there of submissiveness. Being someone who's willing to say, okay, somebody has to make a decision. And so I'll be supportive and cooperative of that decision. I'll come alongside and yield to that. It speaks of being a willing helper and a good supporter. And so as a wife, let me give encouragement to say, Be careful that you're not always challenging and resisting this role in your husband's life. He's trying to learn how to lead and provide direction. And look, everybody loves a cooperative person, right? In a job place, in a situation, in an organization. People like team players who are willing to just kind of cooperate. Well, that doesn't negate how it works in a marriage, There's something very wonderful when you don't have somebody always belittling your ideas or making fun of you or challenging every thought you have and questioning every idea that you have. So I just want to encourage you, ladies, be careful of subtly taking over because sometimes it can just kind of gradually happen where you start to do it. And it can even happen because a husband's being dysfunctional, but you know what? Step back and make him lead. Force him to lead. Give him opportunity to do that. A wife's input should be respected. It should be listened to. Look, my wife is the greatest counselor in my life. Every decision I make, I always make sure she's on the same page and that, you know, that that we're in a sense in a, a cooperative way. But once we've talked through things and prayed through things, and even if at times we may have a slightly different thought of what's right or wrong, ultimately... It is my role to make a decision, and it is her role before God to say, I trust your leadership, and and I'll cooperate, and I'll submit to that, and I'll go along in partnership to that very thing. So again, whether it's family or kids or situations, he says in verse 24 that just as the church subjects itself to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Again, the idea there, subject, is to do what's asked. That if your husband says, look, I, I don't think we should do that, that you honor that. That if he says, look, I, I think that we should do this, that you subject yourself to that and, and you do what he asks in the situation. Again, whether it's with the kids or maybe it's a money thing or that ultimately you're being cooperative because you realize there is value in a decision maker. Whether it's two people or 200 people, somebody has to be a decision maker and a two-headed person is called what? Amen. There you go. So, (laughs) is there ever a time that a wife shouldn't submit to her husband's leadership? Yes. The time that a wife does not submit to a husband's leadership, because he says subject in everything, but let's balance this, is if a husband ever says that we should do something that violates the clear written word of God or violates the greater authority of what God says is right or wrong. 
And in that situation, then it becomes a moment where a wife honors her husband by respectfully, with humble apology, saying, I love you, but the scripture says this. And there, there can come a time when that happens. So in general, that should be the only time, but other than that, God calls the wife to function in a cooperative, submissive role. And secondarily, verse 33, the final thing he says to the wife is that she secondarily should be respectful in her treatment towards her husband. Respectful in her treatment. Look at verse 33. He says it directly. He says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So even as the greatest longing of a woman is to feel loved, right? That's what my wife wants more than anything. The biggest thing she desires is to be loved. And if you love a woman well, she'll flourish and blossom and open up like a rose. Well, in the same way, God knows how he's wired men. And by design, the greatest yearning of a man in his masculinity is to feel what, guys? Respected. It's just the way God's wired us as men and as women. That's why God commands the wife to be respectful in how she relates and interacts with her husband, to honor him, to build him up to let him know that you admire him, to let him feel like you admire him, that he feels respected and validated. That's what's going to make your husband excel. If you want to make your husband grow and excel as a leader and as a man, the more that you respect him and esteem him, he will be encouraged to do that. Because I can tell you something, as a man, every guy wants a cheerleader. That's what every guy wants. Every guy wants a cheerleader encouraging him, supporting him. Your husband, listen to me, wants to be your hero. He is a little boy who wants to be your hero, being awesome out in that field, while you say, rah, rah, that's my man. If he can do it, nobody can. That's my man out there. <laughs> yeah. That's what he wants. And when you treat your husband that way, I'm telling you, it will cause him to flourish as you give reverence to him and to his spirit as a man, as you reverence his manhood and appreciate that he is who he is by design. Because when you disrespect a man, it is very offensive. It's very hurtful. And I'm not saying it doesn't work both ways, but men tend to be more prone to being angered and offended by being disrespected. When you dishonor a man by the way that you speak to him or you embarrass him by belittling him or criticizing him, or mocking him, or trying to make him feel stupid, or speaking in a way in front of other people where you make your husband look like a fool, these are dangerous and very damaging things to do. I'll tell you, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to your children, ladies, is to respect their, their father. You respect their father, and you are going to teach your children something wonderful, a valuable concept, because then they will respect him and admire him. So in the same way this treating a wife like a princess happens, as he says here, respect your husband. The true term in the original language is actually revere. It speaks of how you would revere a king. So look, guys, treat her like a princess, but gals, make him feel like he's the king of the castle. You make your husband feel like the king of the castle by your treatment of him and how you speak to him and how you relate to him, and I'm telling you, that guy will blossom. And it'll be a wonderful thing as he begins to function in a healthy way as a good leader and a proper king of the castle. So in the way that you speak to him, be careful. Be respectful in your words. 
be respectful in how you relate to him, your attitudes, your mannerisms. Again, girls sometimes get catty with one another, right? They, and they, they copitude, we call it. We raised three daughters, so I can say that. You know, they copitude and they get catty. You can't get catty with your husband. When you do that, he's going to feel disrespected and he's going to react in a way that's going to cause tension in the marriage relationship. Ask God to give you the grace to show respect, to demonstrate respect in how you relate to him, speak to him, and speak about him. And remember, ladies, this is something you do as under the Lord. It's not an issue of, well, my husband doesn't deserve to be respected. He may not. Again, maybe he doesn't deserve to be respected, but God's asking you to show respect unto the Lord and to demonstrate respect in a way to do what is right as a wife. And that, I promise you, if you do it, will benefit your marriage relationship. It ultimately will begin to bring health into the relationship. You know, what I see in Scripture, God has given to men the role of authority and God has given to women the power of influence. And both are necessary. And when men properly utilize the authority God's given to them, like Christ in a loving, servant-hearted way, and women realize the power of influence, that if I'm cooperative and supportive and respectful and a cheerleader and I can influence him, everybody wins. And something really wonderful starts to happen as the marriage begins to function the way that God intends it to. Remember, as we said before, love's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's a choice to love in the way God calls us to. And marriage isn't foremost about my happiness. Marriage is foremost, a lot of ways, a lifelong tool as we reflect to the world what's right about Jesus and the church and as we allow the Lord to use our spouse as a way of cultivating our character. I had a book years ago. I don't read many marriage books. My wife reads way more than I do but because I usually don't remember titles from books. But the title of the book was called Sacred Marriage, and it said this, the subtitle. I remember the title and the subtitle. I don't remember much of the rest of the book. (laughs) Marriage is sacred, subtitle. What if marriage isn't as much about your happiness as about your holiness? And this is how God begins to cultivate that. Let's stand together. Let's pray. You guys are troopers. Took in three long sessions. You earned a lunch. (laughs) Father, thank you for these precious brothers and sisters and fellow married couples, and Lord, we thank you for the sessions we were able to work through this morning and and just the things that we could glean and just ask, Lord, that you'd give us the power and the help of your Holy Spirit to, to kind of put these things into practice where we need to in our marriages. Maybe it's reminding us of things. Maybe, Lord, reinforcing what we're already doing. Or, Lord, maybe we need to make some adjustments to do what you intend for us that we might experience your best as a couple But I pray you bless these couples. And Lord, we thank you for the food. We thank you for the lunch that you're providing and the meal. Bless our fellowship and the remainder of our time together. And we ask together in Jesus' name, amen, amen.